If you're a guest, thank you for being with us. We're going to dive right into the Word right now. I'm in a series, just a little, a semi-series of unpacking uh, your stuff, unpacking your hurt, unpacking your baggage. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you came to set the captives free. You came to undo the works of the enemy. Father, you came to open prison doors. For freedom's sake, you came to set the captive free. And I, I just pray that who the Son sets free is free indeed. I think about Saul, whenever he was going to be set in as the first king of the nation of Israel, they couldn't find him. He was hiding in his stuff. And I pray this, this day, God, that you would help us unpack our stuff. You would set your people free. Have your way right now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight. Let us strip off every weight. Amen? Strip off, say that with me. Strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. I mean, I tell you what, I talked about unforgiveness. I'm going to review a little bit of that this morning. But man, if we walk around with our stuff packed, you know, there's my anxiety and there's my depression, there's my sin, there's my unforgiveness. And, you know, I'm just going to keep that stuff. I'm going to suppress it. I'm going to lock it up. And I'm just going to carry that stuff around me all to church and everywhere I go in live. And here we go, going to church. Got my stuff, got my baggage. I mean, this stuff slows you down, man. Oh, it's time to worship Jesus. I'm just, oh, come on, bang. Here we go. Let's worship Jesus. Woo! Let's pray. Can I, talk, can I talk to you about Jesus? How many of you know God doesn't want you just dragging your baggage around? How many of you know he wants to, to unpack your stuff? How many of you know that that's not his will for you just to drag this stuff away? Well, J.O., I, uh, uh, I, I really don't see that around me. You know, it's, a, it's amazing what people will, will see you as if you've got baggage. The, they, they can see right through a lot of things. And, and I want to talk to you today about, let's continue to work on, look, uh, unpacking our bags. Unpa- un- unpacking those things that so ensnare us and slow us down and trip us up and trip up others. Uh, I, I want to unpack my stuff, and guess what? I don't even want to have a bag. Hey, Amen. Get rid of the get get rid of all of it. I mean, that sounds like Jesus to me. Last week, I began to talk to you about strongholds. You remember that? How many of you remember strongholds? What is a stronghold? I'm going to read about it. Paul talked about it. I think strongholds are very wonderful if it's Jesus, if He's in your stronghold. It's a military term where you would hide out, where you would have your, your comrades with you, what have you. It's a military term, but if, if God is not your stronghold, it's a very negative thing. Let's say that, that, that 
all your life someone told you, you that you wasn't going to be any good and never end up being anything and you go to school and that's reinforced and all your friends tell you the same thing and all of a sudden you establish a wrong pattern of thinking I want to let you know that in that wrong pattern of thinking I like to determine or define a stronghold as a house of thoughts you've been thinking a certain way for so many years that you think that that's the right way to think but it's actually built on lies it's actually built on all the lies of the world and what people have told you and what the devil has told you, but it's not what God has told you. How many of you know it's very important that you think about yourself the way that God thinks about you? Another thing that's real important is what you think about God, who you think God is, how you think he is. You're going to, I tell you, those two things are so important that you have your head screwed on right when you think the truth about who you are in Christ and who your God the Father is in your life. And if you don't think correctly, it can be what I would consider a stronghold that needs to be ripped down, demolished. Look, this is the term that, or how Paul put it, 2 Corinthians 10, 4. For the weapons of our warfare, I told you it was a military term, our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for what? Pulling down. Everyone say pulling down. Pulling down wrong ways of thinking. Pull, pulling down those house of thoughts or house of lies. Or like the Bible says, pulling down the stronghold in your life so that you can think right. Sometimes if your mouth and your emotions and your heart and your actions doesn't line up with one another, you could maybe be dealing with a stronghold. Like Paul said, the things I do want to do, I don't do. He says this in Romans 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I do do, I don't want to do. I think Paul, Apostle Paul, I think he was dealing with a stronghold because he talks about sin that was in his members. You following me? So it's important that these strongholds be ripped out of our life, tore down out of our life. I think strongholds interfere and run interference for truths. God wants truths in our innermost part of our being, Psalms 51 says. He wants truth in our deep inside of our heart and guts. Why? Because truth is what sets a person free. Not singing the truth. I mean, you can sing the truth all day long. You can even read the truth. You can come to church 52 times out of the year, but not be free. Why? Because God desires the truth to get into the innermost parts of our being. And that's where your little jury box has been rocked and it's all knotted up and little rings and lipsticks all in there is all jacked up. He comes in by his Holy Spirit and begins to undo all the little all the little necklaces and all the little earrings and all the little stuff and they're knotted up. He comes in there and undoes it by his truth and begins to set you free from the inside out. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And we talked about last week unforgiveness. I think unforgiveness is one of those biggies that will absolutely be a hook or a door that can create a stronghold of the enemy to wreak havoc in your life. J.O., 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 I'm a Christian. You mean to tell me the, the enemy can wreak havoc in my life? I, I think so. How do you say that? Are you talking about a Christian being possessed? No. I'm talking about if I was a burglar 
a robber or a thief, and I knew that your windows were opened in your house, guess what house I would come to? I'd come to your house. It's Come in there and rip you off. Well, there's ways as a Christian that we can leave our doors unlocked and our windows unlocked, I believe, for the enemy to wreak havoc in your life. One of those that can create a stronghold is unforgiveness. It's a biggie. Unforgiveness is a biggie. I want to talk to you about a parable. This is kind of review, and then we're going to talk to about the emotion that I want to talk about today in just a few minutes. But in Matthew 18, powerful, powerful chapter on how to deal with offenses and what have you. But in that, in that chapter, there was a master who had a servant, and the servant owed the master millions of dollars. And the master's getting ready to, you know, throw the throw the hatchet down on him. I mean, you're going to lock him up, what have you. You should read it. It's beautiful. I'm just going to paraphrase for a few minutes just to save a little bit of time. So the master calls the servant that the servant owes him millions and millions of dollars and the servant just cries out for mercy and, and the master does. The master, the Bible says, has compassion on the servant and he, listen to these words, forgives his debt because we're talking about money. You following me? He forgives the debt of this guy. How many of you have a house payment or a mortgage? Just raise your hand. Leave your hand up for a minute. How many of you at least have a rent payment? And how many of you don't have a house at all? Okay, God bless you. Okay. How about if someone comes up to you and says, oh, you owe $300,000 on your home. I'm just going to pay that off for you today. Huh? How many of you would be excited about that? All, all of your mortgage is paid off. Just, okay, that, that's pretty exciting. Well, think about this guy. He had millions forgiven him. And guess what he does? He goes to one of his servants that owes him thousands. Can I use you for a minute? And he takes him by the neck. You owe me thousands. I'm going to lock you up till you pay me back. He's kind of playing into that right there. I'm not really hurting that bad. <laughs> and the master that had forgiven the guy millions heard about what took place. And the master gets totally ticked. And he calls back that servant that he had forgiven millions. And this is the conversation they have. I want you to feel the, the heaviness of what unforgiveness really is biblically. This is code red Jesus. Okay. If you look at Matthew 18, verse 32, I'm going to read a little bit of that. It's going to be on the Sky Bible. And check this out. Then his master, after he called him, said, you wicked servant. How many of you would think that, oh, your unforgiveness is wicked? That's pretty serious, huh? That's what God calls it, wickedness. You know why? Because... When you come to the reality of everything that you've been forgiven, that really releases you to be able to forgive others or whatever they've done. Well, J.O., you don't know. I, I, I was molested all my... Hey, I know how evil that is and wrong it is to some degree. I was not, but I can feel you on it. But unless you forgive, the person is hurting now is you. I remember the guy who 
hit my sister and killed her, and I was 17 years old, and I went to the wreck. And the position I took is basically, you owe me. And when I came to know Jesus, I forgave that debt. I think it's, I think it's wise, I think it's a power, I think it's awesome that God uses money because what is forgiveness is the transference of a debt. Okay, that's what it is. It's the transference of a debt. You owe, you X in Texas, you owe me. Whatever it is. It could be a dad. It could be a friend. You, you, you owe me. And that's what unforgiveness is. So God uses debt to get across this, this beautiful point of forgiveness. Because when we forgive, we forgive the debt. Remember what Jesus did. He paid your price. You follow me? Ching, ching. You were bought, ching, ching, with a price. Right? You follow me? So, so the, I think it's beautiful that he uses that. And so it goes on to say, the wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And look, and his master was angry. And uh, uh, this, is, this, is, this is important that you hear. And delivered him to the torturers. If I'm dealing with someone who is tormented inside, you know what I look for? I go, do you have any unforgiveness in your life? Strongholds, and I think unforgiveness, leads to torment. How could it torment me? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, but expecting it to kill the person that you're uh, holding unforgiveness toward. Okay? It doesn't work. I mean, they're having a life. Maybe they've given their life to Christ and they're living life to his fullness and you still hold unforgiveness. I tell you what, it's going to jack you up. Now, that's J-O-V terms right there. It's just going to jack you up. That You've got to tell your neighbor right now, let it go. You, you, you've got to let it go. Look what the rest of the scripture says. It's pretty, it's pretty heavy. Code red. Look what, it, look what the rest of it says. It says, so my heavenly father... Will also, will also will do to you if each of you, from the heart, not just this, but from the heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So how do you do that? I think that we forgive. It begins with our mouth. But then there's a point of forgiveness. Then there's walking out your forgiveness every day where you adjust your heart. I forgive them. I forgive them. And last week I talked about if you have a family member or a friend that for constantly offends you every day, every week, uh, you should look up on the website, listen to the sermon. I don't have time to re-preach the sermon from last week, but I, I, I think I shared some, some points to help you walk through that so that you don't have to live. You know, Forgiving some, someone doesn't mean that you're a fool or you don't have to do it foolishly. Like, ah, if you forgive, then obviously you forget. That's craziness. I'm not going to forget somebody really hurting me in a traumatic event in my life. Amen? You just, you just don't forget. I don't have that ability. 
but I don't have to let it torment me. I can forgive and release people. So today I want to go on. You should go online, check that out. I want to go on to another powerful emotion, kind of in the ending of this sermon today, and that emotion is guilt. Say that with me, guilt. I think we need to unpack guilt. I want to talk to you about two, three different, four different kinds of guilt. I think there is a good guilt. You're like, J-O, a good, a good, really? A good guilt? Absolutely. I think I, I kind of created a word for this weekend. Uh, is it okay if I just create a word? I mean, somebody had to come up with words. Why not me? Right? I mean, why not? So the, the one that I've created for this weekend is called the guiltometer. We say that with me? Guiltometer. I think God has put in each one of us a guiltometer. Uh, somewhere inside of us is a guiltometer, and I think that there is a good guilt, and I praise God for the good guilt. What do you mean by good guilt? If there is a guilt that causes you to change, to be more like Christ, to get out of your crazy life, that Maybe one day you wake up and come to church and you realize, man, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus Christ. And there is a guilt inside of you that leads you to change, to be like Jesus Christ. I think that is a good guilt. How many of you have ever been faced with that kind of guilt? So, Come on, come on, let's try that again. You should be guilty right now because you might be fibbing, right? Right? How many have been faced with some good guilt? Where you're like, praise God, man. That good guilt led me to repentance. That good guilt led me to change, to be more like Christ. Let me give you an example of good guilt, right? This is good guilt. All of a sudden you think that, well, I think I might just commit adultery. Beep, 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 beep. That's good guilt. All of a sudden you're by yourself and your wife's gone. I think I'm going to check out on some porn. Beep, 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 beep. Wake up. All of a sudden, you go on with the move and you commit adultery. It's like, beep, beep. That's some good guilt. You know what's worse than not having any guilt? Is having absolutely no guilt. You're like, ah, well, I'm fine, man. I just commit adultery and look at, I don't feel anything. We got a problem, Houston. You've you got a hard heart. There's probably de demonic activity. The world calls it psychopathy. I mean, there's something going on inside of you that is not right. Praise God for good guilt that leads to repentance. There's two guys in the Bible I want to talk about just for a moment, Peter and Judas. Will you say Peter on this side? Peter. Will you say Judas on this side? Peter. Let's talk about Peter for a moment. They both kind of did some really bad things. Denied Christ, betrayed Christ. Judas, uh, well, let me get to Peter first. His was not as bad. If in Luke, in Luke let, me, let me find that, that scripture. It's, it's very beautiful in, in the gospel of Luke. Uh, it says in Luke 22, 61 through 62, that all of a sudden the, 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 the rooster crowed and in that specific gospel, when the rooster crowed, Jesus looked at Luke. Wherever they were at that point in time, they looked at each other. Can you imagine just for a moment, you're in your world and you just betrayed Jesus Christ. And, and you know, maybe it's to your friends or family and, and Jesus just happens to be there and he looks at you. Just 
catches eyes. Jesus knew after that rooster crowed that you just betrayed him. And Peter goes out, and look what he does. He wept bitterly, right? That was, to me, you call it conviction, call it a good guilt. He knew that he just, woohoo, denied Jesus Christ. Somebody that he loved dearly, somebody that had walked with him for three, three and a half years. And all of a sudden, you know, he begins to weep, weep bitterly. But look what Judas does. Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And the Bible says he takes the pieces of silver. They don't want it back. He throws it across the temple. And he feels another emotion. He feels remorseful. So I would say Peter and Judas are feeling maybe some of the same emotions. One wept bitterly, one remorseful. That remorseful in the Greek is metomelomahi. And guess what Judas does with that? I don't think Judas unpacked his bag. I really don't. I think Judas, it, can, it absolutely took him over. I think he tried to suppress it. I think he tried to bury it. I think he's like, and you know what it drove him to? Drove him to suicide. I walked into a church December the 7th, 1986, and I was guilty. Beep! My broken laws. I'd broken the laws of God. I was evil and wicked. Now, I know some of you wasn't like that. Praise God. I'm kind of joking. Because we all sin, right? I know none of us like to ever be have called that we were bad or evil or lawbreakers, right? We, nobody wants to talk about that. But we actually, we were. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I walked into that. What if I'd have walked into that church and I was like, I mean, as I walked in there and I felt the presence of God and I felt guilt. You know why I felt guilt? Because I was guilty. Good, right? Good. That's okay. Yeah. What if I'd have been like, well, you know, there ain't nothing wrong with me. Oh, praise. I see all these Christians. I don't know what's going on. But it's like I brought all my baggage all up into that church. And it's like, oh, you know what? I've broken every law of God and praise God. And, I, you know, I, there's nothing really wrong. With, and I would have suppressed that guilt. And I'd have tried to hide it and bury that guilt. Can I just tell you how jacked up that would have done? That's called dysfunctional. You want to whack out your emotions? You want to whack out your soul? Just try to bury and suppress, suppress the truth. Suppress the guilt. God doesn't want you to do that today. Come on. He doesn't. I think even though Peter, I think Peter made the right choice. He didn't suppress it. Man, he let it out. He wept bitterly. Now, I'm not saying everybody should just start weeping bitterly and acting out on your emotions because you need to bit, be a bit wise with that, amen? Because a lot of times people out of their hurt, you know what they do? Out of their hurt, they treat people with the hurt that they're working through, like unforgiveness or just like we're, we're, we're talking about 
right there, uh, being absolutely guilty. Guess what? If a person's really guilty, guess what they possibly could use to motivate other people? Guilt. Guilt is a terrible motivator. Don't motivate your children with guilt, your wife or your husband with guilt, or your employees with guilt. It's terrible. It's, it's very easy, tempted to do. But don't, don't be led by the flesh, be led by the spirit. It's not a good motivator, are you feeling me? How many of you want to be, woo, I want to be motivated with guilt. But if a person is struggling in that, if they're damaged in that, a lot of times if they're not careful, that's exactly what they'll do. So you want to be careful and I'm not saying suppress your feelings, but be very careful and just letting it all hang out too, right? So what I want to do is I want to talk to you today in the sense of, I want to just give you four things that I believe that can help you in the area of, of this guilt. Now, is there, before I do that, is there bad guilt? There's absolutely terrible, devastating, hell-bent, ungodly guilt that I just want to mention for a minute. First of all, the devil, he's the accuser. He accuses. The Bible says in Revelations 12.10 that he accuses the brothers night and day. One of the things that he does is accuses you. When the enemy comes and he accuses you and lies to you, do not receive that. That is like absolutely, that is not the, that's condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of, the, one, of the, one of the things that the devil does is he lies and he accuses you before God, ongoing. That You should read Revelations 12, 10. Another ungodly guilt is the guilt from within. There are some people that are amazingly sensitive to the Spirit of God, to the voice of God, to the things of God. You're typically prophetic. But they're also sensitive in a way that I, I think that their conscience is sensitive, and all of a sudden they deal with their own thoughts that condemn themselves. Their, their own heart condemns them. They, they didn't do one thing wrong, but their mind tells them and tries to beat them down with false accusations. You need to be very aware of that. I'm not trying to do a big counseling session this morning. Well, maybe I am. I'm passionate about seeing Christians in the church being absolutely free. We, we shouldn't be dragging that crazy baggage around with us. God went, for freedom's sake, Jesus came to set you free, man. Open prison doors to break fetters off of your life. Addictions and every little thing that would try to hinder you and slow you down. He wants to break off that totally freedom. He wants you to be free. So I am passionate about it. So it may be a big counseling session occasionally. Okay? But, you know, that inside guilt is, I've dealt with that a lot in my life. And don't give over to that. Don't give place to that. Then there's outside guilt. What do you mean by that, J.O.? Where you're falsely accused by someone else. How many of you have ever been falsely accused by a family or a friend? Or just raise your... This is the worst service yet. <laughs> Do that again. You've been falsely accused. Look at that. Wow. Doesn't it just feel awesome when you're falsely accused? Someone tells something on you. You're like, what? 
What? Are you kidding? And then it gets around. You're like, what? Boy, it just makes you feel good, doesn't it? You know? You know why? Because it's straight from hell. When you accuse someone, you line up with the devil. Because he is the accuser. So we need to guard ourselves from accusing someone. And when someone accuses you falsely, listen, it could be in fault, it could be inward guilt, outward guilt, accusations of the devil. Listen, refuse to receive it, cast it down, rebuke it, whatever you need to do. But I'm gonna let you know, don't take it in. Come on. It will absolutely try to create a stronghold in you to bring bondage in your life and to control your life. Now, I want to give you four nuggets today in the area of absolutely being freed from guilt and shame and condemnation. And just, just listen to that. Just kind of transforming your emotions. Listen to this prophetic word that someone shared with me this week, and I asked them if I could use it. It's just a beautiful prophetic word from the ministry called Father's Heart Ministry. Listen to this. I just thought it was so beautiful that I think it's for someone in here or several people. Listen to this prophetic word. The, the Father says today, accept the finality of my promise in your life. There is not one promise of my word that does not occur to your benefit, says the Father. I'm not holding out on you in any way. Arise in confidence and expectation. And I will shower with you with goodness, blessing, and my favor. My favor is the shield around you that the enemy is hurling against, vainly against you. He cannot penetrate my favor towards you because I will not change my mind about you. Yes, it's true. You'll fail. You'll falter. And at times, even worse than that, you'll fall. And I will pick you up. I will pick you up, dust you off, and carry you on. So refuse false guilt. Refuse. Say that with me. Refuse it. Now, you can say, well, J.O., I've never dealt with that kind of stuff. But you know what? In a setting like this, I've been pastoring long enough that some of you have and some of you do. I don't always preach to everyone in the church. Sometimes it may be three or four. But it's worth preaching. Because to see a Christian brother or sister tormented with guilt and shame. My shame was great, but Jesus is greater. My guilt was great, but Jesus is greater. Huh? Amen? We sing it. It's the real deal. It's worth preaching. So refuse false guilt. I do not blame, and I do not do shame. God doesn't do the blame game or the shame game. Amen? What I do offer is forgiveness and cleansing. So I want to talk to you. It could be guilt or it could be any kind of damaged emotion that you're dealing with inside of you from rejection, painful emotion, sabotaging thoughts, intruding thoughts that bring a feeling and emotion that tries to... How many of you know that you should not be led by your emotions? Yes. One day I'm on Mount St. Helens. Yeah! Woo! The next day, I'm down in the lowlands. I'm down in the lowlands where the water is deep. Hear my cry, hear my shout. Right? If you're led by your emotions, I'm telling you right now, they're like a schizophrenic chimpanzee. 
right? Don't be led by your emotion. You want to be led by the Spirit. You want to be led by faith. We walk by faith, not by my crazy feelings. With that being said, I think there's a place, and I just want to leave you with these four keys, master keys, of transforming your emotions, or a little easier term, unpacking your emotions. Four keys to transforming your emotions so they're not all over the place. Number one is this. Say this with me, confession. Confession. Wow. Man, if you are still suppressing, don't suppress. This thing's getting broke pretty good. That's okay, it's just baggage. Don't suppress, confess. Don't, can you imagine I would have walked in that church that day and just like suppressed everything that I was feeling? I would still be an emotional basket case, jacked up, schizophrenic, chimpanzee, whatever you want to call it. But you know what? I met with a counselor, his name was Mark Sibernigle, as a pastor, probably about 10 years ago. And I just sat down with him, and I said, Mark, I'm letting it all hang out. I shared with him every evil and every vile thing that I'd ever been part of. I didn't, I didn't let anything out, I didn't, let, I didn't hold anything back, I was like, I'm full of shame with these things. Did I have to do that in order to get to heaven? No, absolutely not. That was taking care of the cross. When I was born again, I was a new creation. But I tell you what, I sure did feel better afterwards. J.O., did you did your head start spinning on your neck and green and tongue flying out? And did you manifest? No. I just felt better in two weeks. There's something about confession instead of suppressing how many of you just like to live your life of i got five beach balls and i got to keep them underneath the water (laughs) aren't you tired of being sick and tired you're not tired because you're out of shape You're, you're you're tired because you're emotionally wrecked you're tired because your brain your mind is constantly going you're trying to keep all those balls underneath the water. You know what? You should pop them up, take the knife out, poke them, and let them die. Amen. Yeah. Open up the bag and let, the, let it fly. You know how do you do that? Confession. Confess your faults one another. Pray that you may be healed. The devil just wants you to suppress it, to, to, to hoard it, come on, to hold it, to hide it. Bring it to the light! I want to be in the light as you are in the light, right? In the heavens. Hey, let it out. Let it out. How many more years are you going to go with it being suppressed? How many more years are you going to carry the baggage around? Confess. The Bible says confess your faults to him. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unright. You know what the, the prodigal son was doing? He's like, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to tell him, man, I'm, I'm no worthy to be called your son. I'm gonna... He was ready to confess it out, man. Confess, master key number one. Will you say that with me, confess? Confess. 
Number two, master key number two, renewing your mind. I can't, that's a whole sermon in its own, really honestly. Renewing your mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformed, meta, uh, uh, metamorphous. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It has to do with the renovation. When you think, how many of you ever renovated a bathroom in your house or kitchen or whatever? You just tore out the old, you know, that, that weird color from 1970s and carpet and vinyl. You're like, ah, can't believe that was ever in, right? Like a mullet. You're like, mullets were in at one time, and They were cool, dude, man. Right? Well, you renovate. You have some old patterns of thinking that needs to be re- renovated in your mind. That's what renewing is. Hey, you, your mind will not be renewed by hearing one sermon, in my opinion, one sermon every week. That's something that you do on a daily basis through the word of God and through worship and your intimacy with the Father and city group, walking with other brothers and sisters. Everyone say renew. renew. Master key number two, renew your mind. The next one is this, casting down. Cast. Two casts I want to talk about briefly. First of all, 2 Corinthians 10 talks about casting down vain imaginations and arguments and what have you. Those things that constantly try to intrude in your thinking that tries to be higher than the truth of God in your life. They need to be cast down. Let me give you an example. How do you say it, Seth? Spiegel? Schmiegel? How many of you know Schmiegel, Beagle, Schmiegel, Spiegel? How many of you know who I'm talking about? You, you remember him in Lord of the Rings? He's a great example of someone not casting down vain, vain imaginations. He's like, oh, my father loves me. I mean, my master loves me. My master loves me. Ah, I'm going to kill my master. And, oh, my master loves me. And it's, he just completely, ah, I'm going to kill my master. He's just totally jacked up, man. Why? He had vain imaginations that needed to be cast down. He wasn't bringing thoughts into captivity, man. He had done that for years, and it was, I mean, he was split personality. I mean, he was jacked up, right? And he had a lot of sin going on. You know, the ring was controlling him and all those different things. But just when it comes down to it, it, he wasn't casting those arguments, those, those vain imagination that would exalt itself against God. He gave place to them, and it ruined his life. So casting those vain imaginations down, but casting your cares upon Jesus because he cares for you. And the last one in closing, master key number four, prayer. I don't want you to read a book on prayer. I don't want you to go to the internet and find another podcast on prayer. I don't think you need to take another class in prayer. I think you need to pray. The best class the best way to ever pray, to learn to pray, the best class you'll ever, the best sermon you'll ever hear is just pray. And there's something powerful about what will take place inside of your emotions of renewing, transforming your emotions inside of you as you do some of these simple things and one of them is pray. Amen? We stand to your feet this morning. I, I want to read this scripture as you're standing up. It's so beautiful. This is what Jesus declared in, in Isaiah 61. He said this. It's going to be behind me right here. Look at this. Look at, the, look at what takes place, the beautiful uh, transition or the change or 
the, the exchange, that's the right word, the exchange that takes place. To console those who mourn in Zion. If you're mourning right now in your emotions, you know what God wants to do? He wants to console you. He wants to bring healing to you. Look at the next one. To give them beauty for ashes. Maybe you've walked around in depression and these different emotions that just tried to absolutely control your life. He wants to give you beauty for ashes. Look at the next one. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. This is what Jesus does. That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I say today, take the lock off your luggage, throw away the claim number, get rid of the stuff, get rid of the luggage, and be totally set free. If you're here today, and you have baggage. I don't think it would be wise for you to leave the same way that you came in. I'd say, this is your baggage claim today. Come and drop it off on this belt right here and forget. I mean, who wants to carry this ugly thing? I don't want to see you at church next week with this. Oh, there he is, still with his back. Oh, praise the Lord. Drop it off. Let it go. Unforgiveness, let it go. That thing that took place when you were a little child, let it go. Be free today. Jesus wants to free. He wants to cut off the chains. If that's you, if you need to drop off some baggage, will you just be bold as a lion? I mean, you do it at United Way, uh, United Airline. You do it at Alaska. You do it at Southwest. Why don't you do it today? Why don't you drop your baggage off? There's the altar call. Will you come forward? Drop it off right now. Just drop off your baggage. If you need prayer, grab one of them. No need to carry the baggage any longer. Maybe you've dealt with guilt. I'm not talking about the good guilt. Beep, 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 beep. I'm talking about damnation guilt. I'm talking about the accuser of the brother. I'm talking about even guilt inside. I'm talking about false guilt. I'm talking about pseudo guilt. Guilt that will destroy you. If you're dealing with that today, we'd love to pray for you. Maybe you just need to come forward. A beautiful way to absolutely take care of that kind of guilt. Listen. Confession. Talk about it. Get it off your chest. Don't suppress it any longer. Come on. You see what the end result in Peter's life? Oh my goodness. He became one of the most powerful guys that God built the church upon because he responded correctly. Amen. He preached and the New Testament church was birthed and God used him mightily. I mean, we talk about him today. Peter the rock. He was not always the rock, believe me. If you're dealing with that today, we'd like to pray for you. Just, just bow your head in closing. Last thing. The altar will be open. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you know if you're in a relationship with God or relationship with Jesus, only you know in your heart. That December the 7th, 1986, I came in and I unpacked my guilt. I left my bags. And I received Jesus. 
Jesus is the one that's already took on your baggage. He took on all your sin. He took on all your pain. Anything that you're going to be faced with in this life, he's already dealt with it. And he wants you to surrender it to him. If you don't know Jesus today and you want to begin a relationship with him, would you just raise your hand saying, J.O., that's me. We'd like to pray for you this morning. Anyone? Anyone? We're going to close, but today... If you need to unpack, please do so. Please leave it at the altar today. Father, just thank you for a beautiful church. I thank you, Jesus, for all that you did. You so loved us that you took on our baggage and our stuff. You took it to the cross so that we wouldn't have to carry it any longer. Father, I thank you. You took on our sin, and we love you for that. And I just pray over the church today, God, as we're in this pretty intense, kind of serious series of unpacking our stuff, that you would bless your church. God, I pray the blessing of the Lord over every person here, every marriage, over every family. As you're doing some real heart surgery, Father, that you would bless, you would protect from all the lies of the enemy and all the snares of the enemy. Father, I lift up your church today. Thank you so much for a beautiful church that you're building. And I pray for all those that you're doing this, this work inside of them, that you would bless them. In Jesus' name. And everyone said.